Welcome back, everybody. This is Eric Ellison with the Digital Education Podcast. And if you've been listening, we're kind of coming to the end of uh, the 2022 year. And if you've been listening, we've been doing a monthly podcast called uh, Stories and Becoming More Human. Kind of started up with some um, podcasts kind of in the original vein of with educators and innovators who are doing really cool things. But I pulled up a, a short series, a short weekly series as we close out the year and head into the, the new year um, with a project that that I got to be a part of called Future Ready and it, dealing with issues of innovation and sustainability in particular in Christian schools. But I think lessons to be learned, you know, overall in many ways. But I've been asking the researchers and the project kind of coordinators, people who've been a part of this, um, just some tips for reading the book. And so I'm with my buddy, John Eckert today, who is now a podcaster himself. <laughs> yeah, with you. <laughs> who is now a podcaster himself. And it's funny, you know, I was, he was first guest on my podcast, you know, about four years ago now, four or five years ago now. And I was first guest on his podcast. So I had the opportunity to do that. But John, as you think about this, you you and I got to travel to a bunch of schools together. We got to think about this this um, research together, um, talk about it in length, and then just even tell silly stories about things that we learned along the way. But is there something as as readers use this book, and as they they think about their own context, their own school, their own situation, is there an encouragement on how you would you know in in the direction you would point them in using this book? Sure. I just have to start, though, with two things that you just said in your introduction that I thought were, you know, outstanding uh, flexes. First of all, just want to make it clear, Eric started this four or five years ago. So just be clear, he's four or five years head start on that. And the second thing is, in the introduction, he said that becoming more human things is started off talking to educators and people doing innovative things. And then there's a but. So if you go back and listen to it, there's a but. Now he's talking to the people that aren't really doing anything interesting or innovative. We're just talking about interesting, innovative things other people have done. So um, that was pretty great. That was pretty great. So um, no, so I, I, the great thing about this project for me is it, Eric, you and I got to go on a lot of these trips together and that made it a lot of fun to just be able to go in and see some cool stuff. And the way that this study was designed is really a best practices case study model with an appreciative inquiry lens. So we were going in to find good things. So our sample of schools was not representative. It was a completely um, biased uh, sample in that we were looking for schools that we knew and between you and Lynn, particularly Eric, I mean, hundreds of schools that you, you all know and have been in, we were able to find 11 school sites around the country and just go in and see what they were doing that was increasing access for students, which I think is a really important thing for Christian schools to think about how do they serve a broader range of the kingdom and how do they do those things in innovative ways that will aid sustainability moving forward. So the whole premise of the book project was was pretty fun. Uh, I, I would say the, the, as you read the book, if you get a chance to read the book, which if you haven't, Eric and I can send you a copy, <laughs> just reach out. Lynn's always good about sending out boxes of books for us. Um, as you as you read the book, uh, just cherry pick, go through and find things on themes that you're like, oh, we've been thinking about that. How are some other schools doing that? Because that's the way the book's organized is around themes where we've just highlighted good practices that are doing those three things. They're increasing access 
through innovative means to enhance sustainability because the schools are now better meeting their mission by meeting a, the needs of a wider range of students. Uh, one of my favorite schools, and, and we can get into more detail, but just as a, an exemplary model is um, Hope up in Minneapolis. So Hope Academy is doing some amazing stuff in a neighborhood that has a hundred different languages represented in it. So it's an amazing place if you want to go get some interesting food. There's good options all around. It's 14 blocks from the George Floyd uh, tragedy. And they are working in an amazing neighborhood doing incredible work. And there's just joy in that school building that, you know, when you walk into a school and you just feel it, uh, you felt it there. And so when Russ was taking us around and we were meeting teachers, administrators, getting into sit on it in, in, in any of the classes, we weren't really being scripted where we went. Um, the kids would come up to you and greet you um, in, in very respectful, warm ways. And they were having a, a house, uh, a feast the day we were there. They were doing it outside in Minneapolis in October, so I think it was a little cold, but the uh, spirit was warm and the food um, looked amazing. They were bringing in food from all, all different ethnicities that were represented at the school. And so to me, that is an example of a school that had taken a, an old hospital building and converted it into a school in a neighborhood that had a uh, great need for a big Christian school. And then they've done it in a way that reduces the cost so that it's accessible to kids where 90% of the tuition is covered by 400 donor families. And so now kids that might not have been able to afford that education, they now have access to it. So, uh, and then the last thing I'll say is they have the Spreading Hope Network that Dan Olson runs. They're not just keeping it to themselves. They're sharing, hey, hey here are model, here's a model for this. And they even partner with you and how you do your first philanthropic event and the way that you plan those things out. So I uh, love that example on multiple levels because it's not only serving Minneapolis, but uh, they're serving the kingdom in some huge ways as they uh, work through Spreading Hope. So that would be one example of a, a great story in the book that you know you can't replicate it exactly probably in a lot of places but you can take a lot of elements from that and do some really cool stuff you know john it's it's interesting as we, as we kind of think about and maybe sit on hope for a little bit because we visit a lot of you know schools doing well 11 schools right doing doing excellent things or we were seeking the excellence in them right we learned some things along the way about probably not what to do and probably could even write a parallel book and on, on you know what things to get better on you know but uh, but using that hope kind of focus there were a few schools and, and and i would even say this in their excellence there were a few schools like hope um of the 11 that you could feel the ethos of joy you could feel the sense of joy and hope was doing hard things they were doing excellent things they were doing hard things but there was that sense of joy how much of that gets pointed back in that experience to the joyfulness of someone like Russ Gregg and then the, just the people he gathered with him. I think that's a great point. I, I, the uh, study of what not to do. I mean, let's, let's figure out how to pick those 11 sites, Eric. Like, <laughs> where are the most tragic examples of education? And then we'll go ask them if we can study them. Um, so, uh, no, that, that we will not be doing that study. Uh, but the, 
I think Russ is a great example, and he actually uses that in the Spreading Hope Network to go in and demonstrate and model how you invite people into this. And so I think his impulse, there's a there's the confident humility that we talk about all the time from Adam Grant. He has it. He's like, if we expose donors to our kids and they see the lives that are being transformed, they're going to keep giving. I think they have like a 95% re-up rate for their donors each year because they connect them to the kids and they have these great events where they're not pitching them on an idea. They're, they're connecting them to the lives that are being changed. So Russ is doubling down on the joy that comes from partnering in kingdom work. And so I think that's an amazing model that schools should use more of. I think the way he hires people, or has hired people. He has great division heads and he has great administrators there. Uh, they're people that are there on mission and not in a missional over professional way, but he has missional professionals. They had some of the best trained teachers that we talked to. I remember on our first Zoom call with a, a number of first grade teachers there, they were talking about trauma-informed teaching practices in a nuanced way that was really compelling, which showed a deep commitment to that professional and missional component of it. It wasn't just they were going to love on kids, which they certainly do. It was that, which I still don't know the difference between loving on a kid and loving a kid, but um, they love the kids well, but they did it in a super professional way. And I feel like Russ brings that, this kind of joyful mission paired with get, creating a really strong academic program that's led by professionals. So I would say they they stuck out in that way. And there were several other schools that fit that mold as well. And I think they did that really well, which we can certainly talk about those. But um, yeah, that's what I see. I think if that, if that answers your question, I think that's where I see it. Well, and then and sit on that because that, part of that, that missional professional place with a place like Hope, um, you know, Russ was the one, I think, that introduced us to the idea of you can't give a steak education for a hot dog price, right? Yeah. So hence his flipping of the of the donor tuition model where it's like we need tons of donors to be able to do this so that we can do it really well. And so a lot of people will say, hey, we need the big donor to give us a lot of money, you know, and then to it, you know, and so... It, like I, and I, that idea that hey everybody wants to provide excellence but they'll try to do it at really cheap costs or prices and so they don't get that professionalism you're you're talking about right it's it all you know while this comes down to money and where you're going to allocate resources so we looked at cincinnati hills christian academy then they had the big donor that gave 40 million dollars to start a campus in downtown cincinnati to serve a wider range of students and arm leaders doing some really cool stuff that's a different model it's very difficult to get a donor who has 40 million dollars to invest because that's just a very small pool of people where russ has kind of um made it open source uh, resourcing where he's brought in a, a huge number of families that can provide the resources that are needed to, to, to provide a really high quality uh, education for kids. And so I think that's, that's a challenge. I think both, both models have a challenge. The, the big donor model is finding the right person and finding that mission fit where there's a partnership. That's obviously great, but there's something uh, community-based about saying we as 400 families are going to value the mission of this school and then the families that are sending their kids we're going to trust you with our 
child to do the work that you're called to do with our kids so that our kids can flourish. And so that model, I think, is probably more easy to replicate just because you don't need a single donor giving $40 million, but you can raise $40 million with enough families. Uh, it's just creating that community investment in what the school is doing. And I feel like Russ and then Dan uh, Olson through Spreading Hope, I think they they have a they have a compelling vision of what that can be not everywhere certainly but in a lot more places than it currently than they currently exist now so last question you know as you think about it is there there was a, at many of these schools a generosity like you talk about with spreading hope there's a generosity of sharing it with others but then not just not just giving it to others and telling them do it our way it was the sharing with others and then almost the iteration of 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 learning from the sharing too um that was one of the things i thought i saw through spreading hope in in particular but um talk about that loop, loop a little bit on like you know where that joy starts in that ethos of that school to then like a place like russ or a person like russ who who kind of then draws the people around him to do this with him to then share it with others but then at the same time they're sharing it they're getting better too Right. And I think the great schools this is what you do. Now, we we push through this Baylor Center for School Leadership, these networked improvement communities where we do it in a more formal way. But you saw it at Oaks Christian uh, out in California. You saw it at Cincinnati Hills. Uh, you saw it in, in, in Hope. And Hope is even more uh, formally doing this spreading work than even places like Oaks and Cincinnati Hills. But what I think happens is great educators are always learning and so there's a notion of we've learned a lot about our community and we want to invite people into that because we want them to learn from us but no educator is just allowing someone in to learn from them they are there to learn from their students from their communities from administrators wherever and so i think there's this insatiable desire to get better which requires you to be constantly learning. And so if you invite somebody into your space, they're a great mirror for you to have them interpret what they see and then to get out and see what they're doing. And that's where you end up with places like Oaks Christian turning a dog food factory into an innovation space. You know, they, that doesn't just happen on your own. And so then when somebody comes in and sees that kind of transformation, like, oh, we have these resources around us that we didn't even know were resources or hope, you know, it's an old hospital building. You wouldn't immediately think this would convert easily into a school. And they've certainly had to do some innovative things to make that space work, but they, they think about things differently. Or the last example I'll give is Cincinnati Hills with their entrepreneurship curriculum. They are now sharing that entrepreneurship curriculum all over the country. And there are all kinds of schools that are dabbling in entrepreneurship. I feel like it's the 2022 version of makerspaces. Like everybody's got to have an entrepreneurship program. Well, Cincinnati Hills has been doing it for 10 years and they've got a guy who's super passionate about it, who is now speaking on it, has written a book on it, is spreading that other places. And so as he spreads it, as that comes, it goes out, they're also going to get feedback like, Hey, have you tried this? Or have you tried that? And I'll give you one Cincinnati Hills example, the uh, professional pizza ovens that they bought with, I think about 
$48,000 in state money that they were allowed to use that no one else would have known to use and exists particularly in Ohio, but they, they can spread that. And then as other people come in, they can share, hey, we tried this, we got these federal dollars for that, or we got these state dollars for that. And then they're going to take that in and they're going to do more innovative things there while they help other schools become more innovative in their own right. Uh, John. You know, so if anybody wants a book, they just email you and you'll send them one. <laughs> it's your podcast, Eric. So I was really just volunteering you. <laughs> Thanks, John. <laughs> Thanks, Eric.